Every time I see that ending graphic there, it makes me just want to go to Yosemite. Climb off a rock. Anybody else looking to do that this afternoon? Yeah, no, right? Some people, the things that they do for their pursuit of the ultimate lifestyle, right? Well, hey, I'm glad you're here. Good morning, everyone. All right, hello to all of you joining us online as well. So glad that you have made it here. We all alive? Are we all ready? After singing that song, God has done great things. Can you hear the people online talking to us as well? I hear them. Hey, 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 hey. Come back from the refrigerator. All right, get, come back to your seat now, all right? <laughs> Look, they want to go get a sandwich and a Pepsi. All right. Well, hopefully you all grabbed your outline on your way in today. Uh, you can scan that QR code in front of you as well. You can follow along digitally as well. We are continuing in our sermon series called The Ultimate Lifestyle, and we are looking at Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And as I've shared with you over the last few weeks, if you were stuck on a deserted island in the middle of the Pacific, you uh, would be there. And if you said, Pastor Wayne, I, I can only have a few pages of the Bible, what would you recommend? I would recommend this chapter to be in your possession. The reason why is this chapter speaks into so many areas of our life, and it's really, really, really powerful. So we've been looking at this chapter the last two Sundays. We're looking at it today. We got next week as well, and then we will conclude. The week after that, two weeks from today, is Mother's Day. All right, and so uh, we'll be looking forward to starting a new six-part series on that day. It'll take us all the way to June 18th which is Father's Day, all right? And this sermon series is going to be called Our Imperfect Family. And we're going to be getting real about the health of your home. Uh, But I know that that's none of you guys because you guys all have perfect families, all right? We're going to look at motherhood. We're going to look at boundaries. We're going to look at kids. We're going to look at marriage. We're going to look at wise choices. And we'll finish with the cure for conflict, so you'll be uh, interested in being here for each one of those. It's going to be an amazing time, so please make sure you're here every week, all right? But for today, we're looking at a passage that is one of the more famous verses in all of the chapter. It's a real famous verse in, in the Bible. In fact, a lot of folks, they use this verse as a comfort verse. They use it for guidance. They use it for direction in life. But I think what's actually more important is that we understand the what and the why behind the verse. And so today I hope to set some, uh, some light on the why as we go through certain circumstances in our life that may not always be so great. So if you are a believer in Jesus, it's really important that you understand God's promise to us and his purpose in the world. Because once you understand what he's doing you'll start to understand why he's doing it and why he allows, not cause, but why he allows difficult circumstances into our lives, all right? So Roman numeral number one in your outline today, let's look at what this verse says about God's promise. And we're starting in Romans chapter eight. This is verse 28. Look at it with me in your notes and in your Bibles. Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, let's just stop right there. 
Familiar verse, lots of people have read this over the years. But let's talk about what this verse does not say. This verse does not say that all things are good. In fact, all you have to do is watch the news for like, I don't know, three seconds. And you can figure out that there's a lot of not so good stuff going on. In fact, this verse, it also does not say that all things are going to work out the way that I want them to. Okay? And in which case, none of us actually like that. Because all of us have our own personal agendas in life. We all make our plans and we want things to go our way. And when things don't and things get sideways, they don't go according to our plan. What do a lot of us do? We give our proverbial boo. That's what happens. We don't like it. This verse also does not say that all things have a happy ending here on earth. Now, as much as we love a good fairy tale and they lived happily ever after, it's just not reality. In fact, if if you believe in Jesus, you will have ultimately a happy ending. You will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. And if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus, well, then this is as good as it gets for you. So it doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say say that all things work out the way I want them to. It doesn't say that all things have a happy ending here on earth. So then, Pastor Wayne, what does it say? Great question. Here's what it does say. It says, and we know. Now, I want to stop right there. I want you to circle that. Circle, and we know. Because this is a very important part. Paul uses this term over and over again in his writings. And why does he emphasize it? The reason is this. Because He had a certain confidence. And when we have that same confidence, when we land at that unshakable place of knowing the truth that God is at work behind the scenes, that when we get there, beloved, how we will handle conflict and trials in our life will look radically different than what we're probably used to. But see, if we're not there, and by the way, many folks are not there, then when difficult times come in, they shake us to the core because what's going on just doesn't make sense to us, and we're just kind of in a crazy mindset. And trust me when I say this, that's not where you want to be. You want to have the perspective of Paul. So Paul goes on and he says, and we know that in all things... Let's stop right there. So finances, is that part of all things? Yes. Relationships? Yes. Illnesses? Yes. Job troubles, coworkers, neighbors, and whatever else the case may be. All things mean what, church? All things. Okay. Every circumstance, every situation, every trial. Listen to me. All things. So God is going to work together all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, his ultimate purpose. I heard a sermon one time on this passage, and the preacher used the analogy of baking a cake. Now, think about making a cake from scratch. Now, I'm just guessing here. I'm going out on the limb, but I bet that none of you wake up at 3 a.m. on a Friday night chomping at the bit to get to the kitchen to eat some flour. 
No? Flour, anyone? No? Okay. How about, how about head over to the cupboard to just chug the bottle of cooking oil? Nobody, right? Oh, I know, I know. How about a raw egg? Raw eggs at 3 a.m., anybody? No? So individually, none of these ingredients sound appealing by themselves. But collectively, ooh, now we're talking, right? Throw some raspberry fruit filling in there, some vanilla frosting, rainbow sprinkles on the top. Oh, yeah, glory to God. Yes, please. Yes, please. All right. So I want to beat this drum. God says that I'm going to take all things that happen in life, in circumstance, whatever, and mix them together, and ultimately the result is going to be good. Which leads to my next question. You see it in your outline there. Why do they work together? Why? This is sometimes a struggle for some folks, but, but how do we know that they do that? What assurance do we have? Well, I want you to look back in verse 27 of Romans 8. Here's what it says, the verse right before 28. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Let me stop right there. So this is telling us that the Holy Spirit is actually praying on our behalf. For what? You see right here in Scripture, it says, say with me, church, in accordance with God's will. Why do we know? Because the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. And he's working with God the Father and God the Son. And you see a little bit of the Trinity playing in here. For God's purpose, which is always, 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 always good. That is the assurance that we have. And I can hear the questions coming at me now. You know, Pastor Wayne, you said all things a few minutes ago. So, like, did you mean, like, all things, as in even sinful things? And the answer is yes, even sinful things. And you might be thinking, like, what? What? Listen, God even works in the sins of our life. Even the ones where it's like, you know, later on you're going to do it. Anybody know what I'm talking about on that one? Now don't look at them, okay? And he works in the sins that you find yourself in a situation and it's kind of like, oh man, how did I get here? I don't want to be here. Right, we've, kind of tripped into those situations, even in the things that people do to intentionally harm you. He works those for good. And the ones that people do that they don't even realize that they've hurt you and it affects you. God takes all of it and works it for good. So then the question becomes, well, Wayne, where in the Bible do you even get this idea that God uses sinful situations and intentional hurt towards other people for good? Like, prove it with Scripture, man. Well, I'm glad you asked. Some people, most people don't, but some people actually read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Right? Most people, they get there, they open it up, and they look at all those names, and they go, flip, flip flip. Okay, now we're talking. Okay. 
They see all these names and they're like, I don't know. Who? In that list, there are four ladies. Which, by the way, was unheard of in Jewish culture because ladies were second-class citizens. And of these four, three of them had a checkered past. In Matthew 1, verse 3, it says, whose name was Tamar. Now, here's the deal. If you don't know who Tamar is in the Old Testament, this was a woman who seduced her father-in-law and had kids by him. Now, in case you didn't know the ways of the Bible, let me just say to you, this was an out-of-bounds penalty. The ref blew the whistle, threw the yellow flag, 15 yards, or half the distance to the goal, way out-of-bounds, not okay. And in the midst of all that, Jesus comes from that lineage. Rahab was in there. Maybe you don't know about Rahab, but Rahab, she was a harlot, Ruth was in there. Ruth was a Moabite woman who married a Jewish man. And in those days, church, that was straight up illegal. So here it is. In the midst of sinful activity, we see in the genealogy of Jesus that God is working things for good. Now, what about someone who intentionally harms you? That's out of bounds, too. But think about the life of Joseph in back in Genesis. Here's Joseph, right? He's Jacob's son. Jacob had 12 boys. Joseph is number 11 of 12. Brothers 1 through 10 get really upset with him because he's daddy's favorite. They don't like him. They plot to kill him, and they have a moment of compassion, and instead they decide, hey, let's sell him into slavery. And you could read the story in Genesis, but Joseph ultimately becomes the boss of Egypt under the king. He saves the country from famine. And one day, many years later, his brothers show up needing some help. And then the drama unfolds. And and in Genesis chapter 50, in your notes, you'll see in verse 20, here's what Joseph says to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. An intentional act intended for harm. Here's God working behind the scenes, turning things into good for God's ultimate purpose. And that is the promise that we find in Scripture. Roman numeral number two is God's purpose. In everything here, God is working together for good. That's wonderful. But why is that? And what happens is a lot of times people stop in verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. They don't go any farther. They never get to verse 29. And verse 29 doesn't even, or 28 doesn't make logical, theological sense without verse 29. So let's read it. Look at verse 29 with me. For those God foreknew, he also predestines, and here is the purpose, church, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now let's just pause. God's plan, God's purpose, is to conform everyone who is a Christ follower, a believer, if you will, into the likeness and the image of Jesus. His purpose is to take all things that happen, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and use them to mold you, to mold me, and shape us into the image of his son. 
And the text goes on and gives us the reason why he's going to do that. Look with us. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. When you understand the what, the why now begins to become clearer and make more sense. Not that it's fun and easy all the time because it's not. And no one ever promised you that life was going to be a garden of roses. And God's plan from the beginning of creation has been and always will be that we as human beings, we would reflect his image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The text says, then God said, quote, let us make man in our image in our likeness. There's the Trinity work again right there. So God's original plan in the Garden of Eden with Adam and with Eve and everyone after that was that we would be molded and shaped into his image. His character, his attitude, his heart, his values, all of those things. And then two chapters later, what happened? Sin entered the world in chapter three. And Adam was supposed to be the image of God, and now it's lost. And we became seeds of him. And so Jesus, later on, was sent into the world to reclaim what was lost, to bring us back into being shaped into the image of God. And congregation, that is why God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. That was his plan from the beginning. And Paul says to the church in Corinth now, chapter 15, verse 49. He says, and just as we have been born, the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So the temptation is that we're going to be conformed into the pattern of the world. And if you have kids or if you have teenagers, that's, that's kind of the thing that you fear the most. It's kind of like, you know, don't hang around those kids. You know, oh, those kids over there, peer pressure's bad. Right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't cuss or date the girls that do. Right? First time you've heard that one. Okay, I like that. But even as adults... We're tempted to conform to the pattern of the world and give in to peer pressure as well, right? We buy things that we don't need to impress people we don't even like. You always know how this goes, and we get into all kinds of debt. And Christ tells us, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we study this at length in the What Are You Thinking series, but that is God's desire for us. And you can see in your outline, it's this, that God wants me to be like Jesus. Again, this is God's purpose for your life. He wants to transform us from our old nature into something beautiful. Are you all with me, congregation? This is his plan. You with me? All right, good. Now, there are two ways that God is going to work for those who are called and according to his purpose. We're talking about believers, Christ followers, right? That, uh, that as time goes, 
He will transform us into the image of Jesus. And there's two ways that he does this. One of them is beautiful. The other is the reason why people call me on the phone and we have counseling appointments. The first one is letter A in your outline. This is good. God uses the Bible. God's going to use his written word, the logos, to correct you and mold you and shape you into the image of Christ. We see this a couple of places in, in the word. One of them is John's chapter 17, verse 17, and it says this. It's in your outline. It says, sanctify them by the truth. And I love this. Your word is truth. That's worth an amen. So as we read the Bible and we take it in and we study it and all of those things, we should reflect Jesus in our life better. But that doesn't necessarily happen, does it? Because we've all known people who have read the Bible but never become a doer of it. Now, don't look at them. All right, don't look at them. But if that is you, if you're taking in God's word and you're never actually doing what it says, hear me, friend, it's just not gonna work. It's not gonna shape you into the image of Christ. There's a reason why Jesus said, don't be just a hearer of the word, but a doer of it. So God wants to use the Bible to transform you as you read it and as you apply it into your daily life. That's the first way. That's beautiful. That's good. But letter B, not so good. This is circumstances. This one's a little bit more difficult for us. That's why I have phone calls. But yeah, God is going to use our circumstances to mold us and to shape us into his image. It's what he does. And the reason is because God cares more about our character than he does our comfort. And if we're really honest, there isn't anything inside of us that enjoys hearing that. Some of you right now, you're even cringing in your seats or watching us online as I even say that. And the reason is is because in our own sinful nature, we flip it the other way. We care more about our comfort than we do our character. And when we think about our circumstances, this really plays out. Because oftentimes, our circumstances are filled with some heat, aren't they? For instance, God says in Scripture, humble yourself before the Lord. Now, nowhere in Scripture does God tell us to pray for humility. He just says to voluntarily humble yourself. There's a verse do it, Wayne. Okay. Now, if you don't do it, what's God going to do? He's going to allow circumstances into your life to do what? Humble you. Because remember, the why and the what's purpose is to mold you into the image of Christ. Look what James chapter one says, verse two says, consider it pure, what church? Pure joy. What church? Joy. What church? Joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials 
of many kinds. Stop right there. Oh, so not just the easy days. The easy times when it's cake filled with raspberry filling and cookies and peanut butter cup ice cream. It's not just that time? Oh, you mean, oh, that stuff too. I'm supposed to consider that joy. Yes, and verse 3 tells us why. Look at it. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be, and once again, here is God's plan, so that you may be, say with me, mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God is going to allow circumstances to come into your life. Some will be good. Most will not be. All for the purpose of getting your attention, congregation. That's what he's doing. That's why he's doing it. And he's working to shape you and to mold you and to refine you into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're getting this, friends. I'm just beating the drum today. Don't shoot the messenger. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Scripture says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And then Paul says this, verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles, and here it is, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So here, Paul's helping us to see that the hardships that we go through are actually only temporary problems compared through the lens of all of eternity. And so we're kind of challenged to see here life through an eternal lens versus just a temporary earthly lens. God's work in us is always for eternal purposes, not just for life here on earth. So we need to have an eternal perspective. Look what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So let's put it together. As a loving shepherd congregation, I just want to tell you. I want to encourage you today. When you read the Bible and it says for you to do something. It's a great idea. Just do it. For example, the Bible says to love your enemy. Easy one, right? No problem on that. No? Yeah, I kind of know how that goes. But aren't we still commanded to do it? Yeah, we are. So we have to find ways to apply this into our life and love the difficult people that we come in contact with. Because if you don't, here's the deal. God is going to allow circumstances to come into your life for the purpose of teaching you how to love those people. And he's not gonna stop doing that until you get it and you put it into practice. Now, why is that? Because, thanks be to God, by the way, he's not in the business of giving up on us. And we said last week, 
He's adopted you into the family. You're his. He's going to discipline you and love you because he cares for you. And we can apply this principle into everything that he commands, right? He commands us to have the same attitude of Christ. We're commanded to reconcile relationships when our toes get stepped on. We're commanded to not lust after another person. We're we're commanded to keep our word when we make a promise. We're commanded to give our financial first fruits to God. We're to bring the whole tithe to God and give it to his storehouse. There's many more in scripture. Friends, God loves you. He accepts you as you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you the way that you are. He's going to change you. He's going to develop you one way or another. It's going to happen. And so the sooner you kind of get on board and voluntarily start coming into alignment with Jesus, the better off you're probably going to be. That's the honest, loving truth. Otherwise, it's just going to be more heat. It's, it's going to be more circumstances, 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 circumstances. And no matter what, even when you're in those circumstances, Scripture says to be thankful. Are you with me, church? All right, good. Roman numeral number three. So now we have some responses to these truths. We have the promise. We have the purpose. Let's look at how we're supposed to respond. And I'm going to go through these quickly because there are five attitudes that we ought to demonstrate as Christ followers. Our response to the Lord working in us. So let's go back to Romans 8 now. I want you to look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this, the Apostle Paul says? He says it right here. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the confidence that Paul has. Meaning that circumstances we go through are either going to be a stepping stone or a stumbling block for you. And if you call me on the phone to meet with me, and I, I will tell you this, that every circumstance in life that's difficult, it's there because it's God giving you one more opportunity to grow closer and to trust him in a greater way. And that's response to number one. Letter A is trust. God wants us to trust him. Lots of people go to church every weekend. They believe in God. But listen, asking people to trust God, that number gets cut. A lot of church-going people do not trust God. Are you one of them? God wants us to trust him. To believe in him is one thing. (laughs) Even the devil believes in him. But trusting him, hmm, that's a whole another level. And when you trust God, it becomes real very fast. In your outline, look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, You 
are mine. So now he gives the Old Testament miracles that took place. Look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So the question is, are you going to trust God or not? Are you going to trust him when you're going through those experiences in life? Congregation, are you going to trust him? The next attitude, letter B, submission. Oh, we love this word in our culture. Oh, it's most people's personal favorite, right? No? Yeah, I get it. Jesus is talking to, um, to the, the Lord when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's praying and he's praying and he's praying and he says this, Luke twenty two forty two. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. When you're going through a circumstance, congregation, there's nothing wrong with praying and asking God if he would remove this circumstance from you. And sometimes you Maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes he actually does. And we celebrate that. And we give thanks to God for when he does that. But there's other times when he's not going to remove it. And when he doesn't, this is where this attitude of submission becomes absolutely necessary. Because it's obedience It's what Jesus did. It's what he wants from us, his children. A willing heart that will submit all authority to him and his purpose and his plan. It's the old phrase. Jesus said it, right? Not my will, but yours, God. Not my will, but yours. A third attitude, letter C. Contentment. This one is a cousin to submission. And this is a struggle for a lot of people because when our circumstances are happening in real time, in that moment is when God wants us to be content, to take a deep breath and rest in the fact that he is in total and complete control of the situation. Now, we just had a three-year pandemic. And God's purpose, I believe, was to teach us this lesson. To teach us how to be content in no matter what comes at us. And if you did not learn contentment through this pandemic, my friend, God is going to keep working on you to learn that lesson in the future. Rest assured, it is going to happen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Here's what it says. But godliness with contentment is, what is it, church? Say it with me, is great gain. Just let that soak in for just one second. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food, if we have clothing, we'll be content with that. (laughs) In our consumer-driven culture, where it's purchased the next newest, the biggest, the brightest, and the best, we struggle with that. We struggle with that. Contentment, family, is a huge, huge part of being God's disciple. We just all have to get there. Look what Paul says. Philippians chapter 6, verse 4. All right, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, sorry. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Learn to be content, brothers and sisters. That's what God desires for you. Fourth attitude, letter D. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. I want you to look again with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. This verse, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So there's give thanks right there. Now Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition. And here it is. You see it again right here, church. Say with me. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, we're really good at having a thankful heart on the fourth Thursday in November every year. You know, on Thanksgiving Day, we chow down on turkey. We put the gravy on it. We enjoy some mashed potatoes, and we put the gravy on that. And then we have the green beans with the bacon and some fruit salad. And for dessert, there's pumpkin pie and apple pie. Are you getting hungry yet? Am I helping you at all? No, Pastor, you're not helping But here's the deal. God wants us to have that spirit of thankfulness, that spirit of thanksgiving all the other days of the year too. 24-7, 365. Why? Because it's at that point when we're expressing thankfulness that we are acknowledging to ourselves and to the Lord that he is God and we are not. That he is in control of this situation in the world, and we are not. Does that make sense? Last one, letter E. God wants us to have a teachable spirit. If we're stubborn, if we're not moldable, if we're not teachable, it's going to be a really rough road ahead of you. God tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5, he says, get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. And so this is the application part. This is where we stop asking why and we begin to start asking what, right? Because God is not just kicking back in heaven, chilling out, drinking a soda while sitting on his throne in heaven. That's not what he's doing. The Lord is active in creation He's working things together for his good and for his purpose. So you see in your outline, 
my encouragement to you is instead of saying, Lord, why is this happening? Ask, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Completely different level of thinking here. Because whenever we ask why as a Christ follower, what we're actually doing is demonstrating a marker of immaturity in our Christian walk. It's self-centered. It's all about me is the attitude there. I need to know why. That's what's happening. But on the flip side of that, instead, when you ask, what? This is different. This is growth. This is a marker of Christian maturity. Because this view acknowledges God as God. It's an all about God and what he's doing viewpoint. Do you see that, church? So the mature question needs to be, in the midst of circumstances, God, what are you teaching me through this often difficult circumstance? We had a church member pass on to go to heaven this last week. As I was visiting with the family, it was amazing to see the peace that they had. They were laughing, having a good time. But were they sad? Yeah, they were sad. But I could see in the midst of their sadness that they understood somehow God has a bigger purpose, has a bigger plan. And I'm confident that God will reveal that purpose to that family as time goes by. That's the reality for all of us, family. God is doing his work behind the scenes. We need to acknowledge that. We need a teachable spirit. Ask the questions when you're reading his word. God, what is it you're trying to teach me as I read the Bible today? And in day-to-day life, God, what are you teaching me in this circumstance? Folks, That is the goal, to become more and more and more like Jesus day in and day out. Paul says, and we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That's you. I'm going to ask you to remain seated this morning. Would you pray with me?